it'd be great if you have a Bible to open up to that. And as is my, well, I say it pretty much every week, don't I? If you don't have a Bible, we can give you one. If you do have a Bible, bring it here with you, please. Uh, if you have to, put it in your car on like a Saturday night, uh, right on your seat, and then you're forced to sit on it as you come here, and then you can bring it in and you can open it up and God can speak to you. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And so why don't we make sure that we are people who look very closely at what he has to say, and that the best way to do that is to make sure it's there in front of you. I'm going to pray as we begin this new series. For those who are visiting us, uh, I'm sort of setting the series up. I hope it doesn't make you sort of go, oh, I think God has a lot to say to us every time his word is opened, and so please, um, I hope you can engage well with this, and let's pray that God does speak to us right now. Lord and Heavenly Father, every word of your scriptures comes from you. You tell us it is God-breathed and that it is useful. We ask that you help us knowing that it is living and active, that it is sharp to, to hear your words today that they might remind us of the wonderful truth of the gospel, that you, through Christ Jesus, have come and made a way that restoration and renewal is possible for your creation and is possible for every single one of us. And so we ask that you might come now by your Holy Spirit and enable us to hear you, that you might come now by your Holy Spirit and enable us to be your people, that you might come now and change us, transform us, revive us, Lord, we long to see you work, and so please do that here now in this room, to the praise and glory of your name. Amen. What's next? Now, the tone, the tone, how you ask that question kind of changes the way that you're perceiving the future, right? What's next? Am I positive? Is that positive? No. What's next? Much more positive, isn't it? Think in your head how you've been feeling these last few months and the tone of your what's next and how it changed maybe about midway through last year where you're like, yes, the vaccine's coming and we're all going to be free. But now, what's next? <laughs> That's how I'm feeling. Is that how you're feeling a bit? What is going to be next? And yet I then look and think about what's happening here at our church and what's happening in our world, and when I look at what God's doing right across the globe and what he's done through history, and there's what's next. There's still excitement, isn't there? I wonder, what is the tone that you are coming into this year with? What is the tone that you are looking at your life with, with, well, your, your history, all of history with? What are we as a people, as humanity, hoping for? How are we saying what's next? What about as a nation for this year? How good was Ash Barty, by the way? Yeah. Woo! That was next. What's next for her? Who knows? What are we hoping for as a church? What are you hoping for? What's next? Because after all that has gone, sometimes, and I think particularly over these last two years, we need to ask that question, what is next? See, as much as we are asking those questions, or not, maybe you're not, and you're just like, I'll just do a day at a time, Brett. Like, what's with this, what's next? Israel, the people of Israel, God's people, that question would have sparked, as we read, the first few verses just then. Verse 1, what did it say? In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, they would have gone, oh, this is the next. See, actually, in those words, and in the words, those few words that follow, verse 1, we're going to spend most of our time in just verse 1 today, those few words would have sparked so many of their hopes and dreams. A history of promise would have come flooding back into their minds as they read these, and they would have gone, what's next? Like, is this it? 
Is, is restoration going to happen? Is renewal going to happen? Is all that God has promised about to happen? That's how we enter into Ezra and Nehemiah, two books you may never even heard about. And I think that anticipation, that expectation, we need that to bubble up again inside of us because I don't know how you're feeling, but our current state almost feels a little bit like there's a bit of an acceptance. Reality is reality. We're going to have masks on for another year. That's tough, and I'm not trying to deny that that's difficult, and you can give yourselves all sorts of permission to eat multiple tubs of ice cream on the end of the bed crying because it's been rough. But when we look at what God has to say about what he's saying is next, we then have to think, how is it that we live in that reality? And what we get in these first couple of verses is, well, I'm hoping to show you where we are in the, in the story of Scripture, and a bit of, well, so what, Brett? Because in these first two, well, first verse, there's all these hyperlinks. You know what a hyperlink is? Hyperlink is where if you go on, and I'm not all that IT savvy, but if you, could I have that slide, Kathy, for the hyperlink? There you go. If you were to go and to click on, beep, first year of Cyrus, King of Persia, bang, that would take you to another site where you get all this information. And then you click on, uh, to fulfill the word of the Lord, that would take you somewhere else. The Lord moved, take you somewhere else. Spoken by Jeremiah would take you definitely to something else. But... There's a lot of like prior knowledge. You know when you begin a, a course at uni, they say you have to have this prior knowledge before you can actually do it? This book presumes a bunch of stuff that I'm hoping today we download really quick, matrix style, straight into the brain, so you've got it and you can really understand what all of this is. This makes Bible nerds, I'm a bit like a Bible nerd, like me get super giddy and excited and just want to smile big because it's so good. But I hope we all get excited because what this tells us is for what's next. Hyperlinks are important because they give us what's come before and help us to go, okay, what should we be expecting to come? And so we're going to look at each of those. We're going to look firstly at the king of Persia by looking at the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the command spoken by Jeremiah, but really the command spoken by the king of all to fulfill the word of the Lord. The Lord has moved. And so let's have a look. Begin with the king of Persia. It's there in front of you, verse 1, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation. Why do we care about Cyrus and Persia, aside from the fact that their rugs are nice? Well, can you just humor me for a second? I've started reading, well, I'm halfway through this book. I'm excited about that too, because it's a thousand-page book, and I'm about 500 pages into it. Normally about this time is when I give up. <laughs> um, it's a fantasy fiction novel. Um, I'm sure you... I just want to read a part to you. It was pretty exciting. This moment in the book was actually quite exciting. Let me just read it to you. Um, I think you'll be excited with me. The days that followed were pleasant ones. My sunlight hours were spent with Dina in Severin Lowe, exploring the city and surrounding countryside. We spent time riding, swimming, singing, or simply talking the afternoons away. I flattered her outrageously and without hope, because only a fool would hope to catch her. Now, what do you think of that book? Fun? Good book? You've got no idea, do you? You have no idea who Dina is or Severin Lowe. Like, you've got no, you don't know that this has been a relationship that's extended across, well, two books, actually, and that this is not a Pride and Prejudice-style novel, though it sounded that way. I flicked a few pages back, too. I was a bit like, I am reading a Pride and Prejudice in the middle of my fantasy book. 
but it's a book almost within a book. And often fantasy novels are like this. They've got chapters that help develop the story but still link to the rest. But we need to be able to care about the rest, understand who those characters are. It's almost like if I was to say to you in another way of saying it that how good is it that all of a sudden there is the multiverse in all of this Marvel land? Now, some of you are like, what is he talking about? Exactly. We need to know who these characters are and what's going on. And when the king of Persia is mentioned to these people, it's huge. It is mind-boggling because what has just happened to the people of Israel is that they've grown up, and we'll come back to that in a moment, and then all of a sudden they got destroyed. In 587-86 BC, Jerusalem, their city, the temple walls and everything inside was destroyed by Babylon. Israel was as good as dead, it seemed. Their God had been crushed underfoot and they'd gone into exile and they're going to be in exile for a long, long time. And exile isn't like just this nice, happy holiday in another land. More or less, Babylon came through to commit genocide. It would have been horrific what King Nebuchadnezzar did to those people. See, Babylon's approach was, you are going to be ruled by our people and our religion. And so we are going to remove any threat of disobedience by just stripping you of any of your own personal identity. But then King Cyrus comes along in 539 BC, and this is why we all start cheering. You're cheering, right? Well, you would be if you were Israel, because he comes and conquers Babylon. The Persians also had a bit of a different approach when it came to this. The Persian approach was, you can actually continue your religion in your land, because what we actually want is to rule you, but with your loyalty. And so you'll hear that in the command that comes through, and we'll unpack that a bit more next week. I want to ask again, though, why do we care? Why do we care about what happened to Israel? Well, because Israel's God is actually the king of all history, because it said he was the one who moved the heart of this Cyrus king of Persia, who's destroying the Babylon, Babylonians, who's bringing all these people back. He's the one who's actually in control. That he had spoken, that he had moved. And all this happens, another link, Verse 1, what did it say to tell us, Ezra tells us, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Immediately, that little hyperlink would actually go, woo, and send you to Jeremiah 29.10. So that should be on the screen. Read this one with me. What did it say? What did the command spoken by Jeremiah say? This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. What is the book of Jeremiah all about? Well, it was saying that what happened was going to happen, that God's judgment would come, Babylonians would come, their problems that they had within the land, Israel had within the land, were going to mean that they had to be stripped from it, and exile was that, that judgment was coming. But one day they would return. And if you're a regular here, please jump on to, and we're going to share it during the week, we jump onto YouTube, search the Gospel Project Jeremiah, and check out the overview of Jeremiah, and do the same thing for Ezra and Nehemiah. It's 15 minutes of your time that will give you such a great understanding. But why, what did we just read? We just heard him say that they're going to return after 70 years. And Babylon's destroyed now. So king of Persia, Persia, the prophet Jeremiah, it's happening. All the promises. It's all happening. You know how it started back with Abraham and he was plucked out as this one individual in Genesis 12. And they said, God said, I'm going to through you. Well, you're going to have land and people, and all nations, all peoples are going to be blessed because of you. 
Abraham had some issues. So did the people that he fathered. They had some issues. And it ultimately ended up leading to exile because they had some kings. There was a promise with this king that he would be the one that would reign forever and all nations would come and bow down to him. There was these promises that they would have blessings upon nations, upon nations, that all nations would come and they would bring their, well, their best things to praise and worship this God. That that one day the people would, after they've gone into exile, return to the land and they would rebuild a temple and from that temple would flow to all people the blessing of God. All nations would come. So what are we hearing right here? We're hearing the hopes of people, of place, of a rule of peace, of blessing, of a king, a Messiah who's going to reign forever. We're hearing of returning, rebuilding, restoration and renewal for all nations, for the entire world. That's what's said in one verse. So when you hear the decree as an Israel, the Lord, Cyrus's decree, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, you chuckle a little at that point. You don't have control, Cyrus, but you're right. You're saying something more than you even realize. And he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. It is happening. See, why do we care? Well, this is, at this point in the story, the one true God's plan to restore and renew the world, to fulfill the word of the Lord. Why wouldn't you care? Right? Jeremiah has told us this day was coming. And so in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia's reign, we know Babylon is defeated. Seventy years is completed. God has said, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Why do we care? Well, because the king of history has spoken and stirred. And that's an outrageous claim, isn't it, that we make? That our God's been the one that has ordered history to bring it to a particular point. But we have to claim that and hold that. Did you see it in verse 1? It said, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. He stirred, the word could also be. He had done it before, actually. He'd moved Cyrus across the the, the world to come and do his conquering at some point. So in Isaiah 41, you can read about that, Isaiah 45. But now he stirs him again, and he stirs his heart, meaning his will and his affections, what he wants to do. He triggers him in such a way to go, you're going to achieve the purposes that I have. And if you look down verse 5, he does the same thing with his people. Everyone whose heart God had moved went back to do this thing. See, our God is at work in history. He was at work in history then, and he's at work in history today, even when it feels like, what's next? (laughs) What's next? We are living, living out the continuing fulfillment of the word of God today, as he continues to do that. Because why did he do all of this? What did it say? He did it in order to fulfill the word of the Lord. God's word revealing his will, and then that should be, for God's people, comforting and commanding, right? It should mean that we care deeply about the things that he has to say in this book. This book, not this book. Though it's a good book, Wiseman's Fear, if you're wondering. I had to cover it. Just Anybody know Patrick? No, of course you don't. Pride and Prejudice is pretty great too. Anybody know that author? Yeah. Hyperlinks are so helpful because they help us to see how it is that God's working all together. And this little part of God's book, God's, God's book, his word, may not seem that significant to us. But I just want to quickly show you 
One, it fits within what God is saying all along. But two, just jump with me to Luke 24. Because there's another person who seemed to be pretty convinced that we need this particular book to be able to understand what God is doing in his world. Have you heard of a man named Jesus? I hope so. If you haven't, you should meet him. He is the greatest man that ever lived. And after he died and had risen again, he's doing this funny thing. It must have been so strange for the disciples because he appears to them and he's sitting down having a little bit of a a breakfast with them, some broiled fish, whatever broiled fish really is. And he's eating that in their presence. And you know what he says in verse 44? He said to them, this is what I told you while I was with you, while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. What has Jesus just said there? He said everything, everything from about, so I'm just getting out of there, back, all of that. I've been talking about all of that being fulfilled in what I've just done. And so you need all of that to understand me. You need all of that to understand, well, you. You need this deep stuff here to be able to get the riches of what Jesus has to say to you. I mean, that's what the, the, the scriptures view of scripture, it is itself, it's in 2 Timothy 3. I have a confession to make. We were going to start a Bible memorization thing today. And you know what the first passage was going to... Anybody got their outline with them? Have a look at your outline. It should be inside that induction thing. Flip it over. Go to the back at the top. What's it say? Is there a nice Bible passage up there? It's 1 Timothy, right? Yeah. See, fortunately, 2 Timothy says all Scripture is God-breathed. And so that's useful as well, but it's not the one I'd planned to put there. We are hoping that you, we, together, really know God's Word so well that we meditate upon it day and night. And so we're going to encourage you to start memorising some of these Scriptures. Because if Jesus says it's all good pointing towards me, if Scripture itself says it's all useful for teaching and rebuking and training in righteousness, if it is living and active, get it into you, right? And so please, over the next few weeks, see if you can memorise... If you want to memorise 1 Timothy as well, it's a pretty cool passage too, isn't it? Summarising the Gospel in some respects but 2 Timothy 3.16. We'll share it a little bit more. But why should we care about Ezra, Nehemiah? Well, because it does answer the question, what's next? But not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. His will, His ways. And so what do I think we're going to learn this term as we journey through it? There's a reason why we've called it return, rebuild, restore, renew. Because what happens in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah is that you have these three cycles that they go through of returning, rebuilding, and then restoring. Almost like you have, it's a bit like a trilogy, and then this little bit at the end that helps us to understand. And so each section will be like its own film or its own book, but has a continuing narrative as well. And so to begin with, we're going to see the people return, and they rebuild the temple. And they'll do that under the leadership of Shezbazar and Zerubbabel. And so those two are sort of the key leaders. Zerubbabel is the main one that you think of. And then all of a sudden, Ezra shows up, and he comes and helps return the people and rebuild the people upon the Torah, God's Word. And that's the end of Ezra. Then we see that the city walls and the the walls of the temple start to be rebuilt. And so they return and rebuild those, and Nehemiah pops up. Three cycles that are going to help us to think about how we return and rebuild our lives upon the foundation of what it is that God wants us to be doing. And then there's success, right? Well, it seems to be. But Nehemiah ends in failure. And so my message today is, what's next? And Ezra Nehemiah has taught me failure. No. 
But can I direct it a little bit towards us today as I wrap up? What has happened to the church over this past couple of years? It's been hard, right? It's been different. It's sort of felt a little exile at times. But I reckon we've been given an opportunity for that reason, to look again. Yes, to return. Yes, to rebuild. And to do that on the exact same foundations that the church should have always been built upon, which is Christ Jesus our Lord, right? Him being the foundation. We looked at that last year. Now, I don't want to over-theologise this moment. I'm not a prophet. My name's not Jeremiah or Ezekiel. But spiritually, we want to live out this pattern of thinking through how is it that we actually be the people of God because that's what Ezra and Nehemiah is going to confront us with. That's what's going to have to really stir our hearts so that we move in the ways that our God wants us to. And ultimately, that's the restoration and renewal that we desire that can only come through Jesus. As I said, I want to spoil this story from the get-go so you don't have a... Try and journey with it, but know that the end is going to be, well, sad. Because the hope and promise, each time we go through the cycle, we think, yes! Only to be disappointed and devastated at each point. But that can sometimes be the same today, right? What's next in this moment in church history? And we have to ask that question because we are the church, and so we're making that history. Should we just return and keep doing all the things that we used to do, exact same way that we have been? Should we just keep going through those motions? Maybe. Maybe there's a good in a lot of what we were doing, but I want us to ask those questions at least. We have some great patterns, some great practices. Maybe some of those you've lost over the years, and this series, I hope, helps you to return to them. But maybe we all need to rethink how it is that the Holy Spirit is at work transforming and renewing our lives. Because don't you want revival? That's what these people wanted. They, what's next? This is it. Revival. God's going to do it. Restoration, renewal. We are part of God's plan to restore and renew the world. We've got to work hard to figure out what that's going to look like. Because what does this book actually bring? It doesn't bring failure. It brings all the hopes. Because we'll get to the end and we'll go, oh, that didn't, what was wrong? Why didn't it work? Well, it didn't work because God still had his plan. And another bloke named Jeremiah who prophesied said some stuff. And let me tell you what he said. He said that they're going to return. You will return. But then there's even more promise to come. That in wild and turbulent times, I'm going to speak into this situation and tell you that there is a greater hope coming. Because one day, you won't just be taught about the Torah, but I'll put my law in your minds and write it on their hearts, God says. I'll be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And Ezekiel comes and prophesies a very, very similar thing, doesn't he? What does he say in Ezekiel 36? They're on the screen if you're wanting. What does he say there? Verse 26, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Because what happens at the end of Ezra and Nehemiah is that we clearly see the people on their own, with, even if they're doing it with their own practices and fighting it out that way, they can't do it. They need restoration and renewal. We need restoration and renewal. And praise God that when you flick to our part of the book, well, Jesus came, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and he lives and dwells within each and every, every single one of us because we are those people who are being renewed to the praise and the glory of God. And yet, we still ask, what's next, right? 
because there was more promised than that even, that one day that same Jesus would return and renew and restore the entire world, not just his set of people for now. So why do we care about Ezra and Nehemiah? Well, it helps us to ask the question, what's next as we live that out now? Awaiting the return. And there is so much, I really believe there's so much we can learn from these books as to how it is that God taught his people to seek after him and to yearn for what's next, to yearn for more of what he has to offer. As they did it in the year, well, the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia's reign, and as we do it now, living in this time, asking what's next. I hope you journey. And so please, can I encourage you, read ahead. Go through that. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up now. and We're going to sing a song. And this next song, I think, is fitting to say that we're going to build our lives upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I hope you sing that as almost a prayer today, praying that as we journey through Ezra and Nehemiah, as we go through this year, as we start to try and put practices into our lives to ensure that we are the people who are being restored and renewed by God's Holy Spirit, that we build our lives upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me pray, and then these guys will lead us. Lord and Heavenly Father, we praise you today as the one who has ordered all things. Lord, thank you that your will is good and that you are the one who moves and makes us to move for you. We ask now that you continue to help us to love you all the more, that in these turbulent times we can keep asking the question, what's next, but with a confidence knowing that you will journey with us, a confidence knowing that you are transforming us, you're renewing us to be the people of God that you've always wanted us to be. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your Son, Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we pray now that we might be a people who build our lives on the solid truth of the gospel. Through his name, through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.